Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go in-depth on all things Hawkeyes. This is Hawk Central Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Happy Wednesday, Hawkeye fans, and welcome into a meltdown edition of the Hawk Central Radio Show right here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host, Chad Leistico, a Des Moines Register columnist who writes about the Hawkeyes, and uh, I will help take you up to 7 o'clock tonight. The fallout of Iowa's 31 to nothing loss at Penn State has been pretty massive. The good news in football is that there's always another game the next week, so the Hawkeyes have no choice but to turn the page. We will bring in my colleague Tyler Tashman aboard around the 620 mark to talk about all things Hawkeyes from the Iowa camp. We'll answer your five big questions uh, about Saturday night's game against Michigan State. It's not a mistake. NBC Primetime has picked up this 6.30 p.m. matchup as the Spartans' program in turmoil comes to Kinnick Stadium to learn more about what the Hawkeyes and their fans will see Saturday at Kinnick, I'm very, very pleased to welcome a friend of the Hawk Central program, Graham Couch of the Lansing State Journal. Graham, uh, welcome. This is probably not the show either of us thought we were going to do after Iowa beat Iowa State to go to 2-0 and a couple Saturdays ago when Michigan State had beaten two opponents by a combined 76-21 to to open 2-0. and But here we are, uh, Mel Tucker fired today. What a... <laughs> Uh, my my hats off to you, my friend. Uh, I'm sure it's been a chaotic couple weeks for you, huh? It's been it's been something, yeah. And uh, it's you know, but uh, I've covered this stuff long enough. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> nothing surprises you. And you kind of you kind of go through it, and uh, you know, it, it, I, I feel badly for the Michigan State players and you know some people in the program, and um, you know, this isn't what they signed up for, but it, it's what they've got. Well, why don't you give our listeners, Graham, uh, just a little breakdown of kind of where things stand. Obviously, uh, as I mentioned, uh, the university firing Mel Tucker with cause officially today. I know that that means uh, players can now enter the transfer portal for 30 days. That's a little byproduct of that this whole thing. But, uh, I mean, how did we get here? And uh, is it too early to start thinking about replacements for Mel Tucker? Well, if, you, if you're on MSU Twitter, it is not too early. I mean, that is... <laughs> nauseating at this point but uh but understandable also um so basically uh you know a couple of weeks ago uh, uh usa today uh had a uh um, investigative story that where brenda tracy uh a, a, um, a woman who had been a vendor for michigan state and uh, noted uh sexual assault violence uh advocate well she's an advocate for sexual assault violence but you know what i mean yes um uh had filed a complaint, a Title IX complaint against Tucker that had gone through the investigative process. And she had worked with USA Today about, you know, with the reporter she was comfortable with there. Um, and originally this wasn't supposed to come out in her mind until after the Title IX hearing in early October. Uh, it looked like it was going to leak early and she wanted to make sure she had some control of the story. So she okayed it coming out earlier. And 
that's what led to everything. That came out on a Saturday night, early Sunday after the Richmond game. Um, led a little all-night writing by myself. And you, I could tell right away that that was it. Like, there was no way that sure. he was going to ever coach again at Michigan State. And so since then, it, it, we, we've been to this point where, um, you know, there's been some responses by him. So Michigan State had suspended him initially and then uh, sent a letter of intent to terminate seven days ago or eight days ago now. And then today, uh, uh, you know, Wednesday actually uh, sent him the, the termination letter and, and fired him. That does not mean it's totally done in the sense that um, there will certainly be a lawsuit. He's made that clear. It could get very ugly. He looks like he's prepared to go scorched earth here oh, to boy. try to keep as much of the, you know, 70 some million dollars it's still owed to him. So, uh, Michigan State's part in this is not over. They'll have to figure out how much they want to, um, how much they can stomach, and whether they want to, uh, you know, fight this all the way. Because I think they do have a decent case, and, and in a lot of ways, they should be able to get out of this without owing them anything. Or whether it's worth some small settlement that they can they can uh, tolerate that that sort of allows them to move on quicker. Wow. Yeah. It's. Uh... That's crazy. Uh, obviously, we're here to talk about, you know, the matchup on Saturday, but this impacts the matchup, right? I mean, uh, uh, I have no idea. I mean, from our perspective over here in Iowa, like what kind of team is going to come into Kinnick Stadium on Saturday? I mean, uh, I mean is the is are the players? You know, how would you describe kind of how the players have sort of navigated through these last couple of weeks? Obviously, the results on the field have not been great. Yeah, no, it's well, and, and this week will be interesting because there are, I mean you mentioned the transfer portal part of it where it becomes open to everybody for 30 days. The thing about that, that's a little bit uh, like that makes a ton of sense in the off season. um, When these things happen Uh, in season, if the players have good advice, it won't matter because the portal opens to everybody at the end of the season anyway. And so there's no, there's nothing that really benefits you by jumping in it unless you really know you want to leave. Because it does sure. give you a head start in that sense, but you'll just be—you know—other schools can contact you, but you can leave at the end of the year if you want to. Anyway, the, the, I, I think what, what, where it gets interesting in terms of this game and this week is you can preserve a red shirt if you play—you know—four games or less. Well, Michigan State's now played four games, and of the guys who uh, have red shirt seasons still available on the roster, not just freshmen but all the way up, uh, ten guys have played four games exactly now. And okay. some of the really key players, young, good players in the program, guys who would make a huge difference. And those guys are going to ultimately have to make a decision now whether they want this year to count. And I think my, my hunch is they all will. Um, and But just based on who they are and some of the leaders within the program and other things, but but you never know. And um, if, if a couple guys or whatever from that list decided they didn't want to play this week and, they wanted to move on and preserve this year of eligibility. Um, they could do so, and that could really, really affect the game. Gotcha. Uh, on the field, uh, Michigan State has losses of forty-one to seven to Washington, and then thirty-one to nine against Maryland. Uh, the last couple weeks, obviously, that Washington team right now looks like a juggernaut. Um, and then the Maryland game. I mean, I, I saw Michigan State had five turnovers in that game, but ha- you know, have the Spartans really? looked that bad on the field as the scores would indicate or is this a you know a more competitive team that's coming into Iowa City Yeah, well, they did against Washington 
and that was the week after everything sort of happened. Um, I, Washington was also unbelievable. They might be one of the best to- couple teams in the country. They would do that to to just about anybody. I think I, I, I have not seen a player come into Spartan Stadium in a passing game look like Michael Penix. Wow, who has two first round picks as a receiver and you know as an NFL first round pick quarterback come in and look like that since. JT Barrett had a night against them in 2014 where he just couldn't miss, and that was a really good MSU team. And um, but it's, it's been that long since I've seen that sort of performance. Just you know, NFL there were contested balls deep that were caught that were just on the money. Any pressure, they had accounted for everything. And he's been a thorn in their side forever, dating back to his days in Indiana. Um, and so th- th- that was awful in a lot of ways, partly because the offense was was terrible too, and and. So you really just didn't have anything going. And then the next week, the defense was shaky against Maryland to start out. Uh, played pretty well in the second half. They actually outgained Maryland. Most of the stats were in Michigan State's favor, except for you know five turnovers, which are tough to tough to overcome. So uh, I think uh, you know defensively they've got a chance to be competitive. They're young, um, but they've they've got a couple good recruiting classes, guys that they're hoping to hang on to beyond this year that have come in and made an impact. Um, the quarterback position is unsettled. They're going to go back with Noah Kim, and you know we'll see how long that lasts. Okay. My hunch is if he struggles after this, Michigan State has a bye week, that that would be a time that they would make a move. Uh, they'll probably make a move in-game. They did last week with Kaden Hauser uh, as well. Um, they've, got, they've got some nice receivers, weapons. I don't know if they have. They've got a good running back. Their offensive line has been eh, so-so. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the problem they have is they don't have a lot of difference makers. They have some, like, their running back, Nathan Carter, is a good Big Ten back, good starting Big Ten back, upper-tier Big Ten back. He is not a, you know, Kenneth Walker NFL back. Uh, you know, the receivers, they've got some guys who may become that who are pretty young or good players. They've got, you know, six, seven, eight guys all in the mix. Um, and they've got some good older receivers who are good players, but not, you know, they're just solid players. And their tight end may be their best difference-making physical specimen, and he's been inconsistent. Um, so, and their quarterback has struggled, and their line has uh, been suspect. So, offensively, it, it's it's been a chore. I mean, they've, they've scored, um, you know, 16 points in their last, games total and you know Iowa fans are familiar with that sort of <laughs> ineptitude and uh you know but it, it, it's it's been it's been a problem against some some offenses that have some punch well Graham last time we had you on the show was early November 2020 and it felt like Iowa's program was about done under Kirk Ferentz at that time I don't know if you remember this appearance but let me give you a little uh background Iowa was off to an 0-2 start that obviously was the COVID year uh, that was the same week Amir Smith-Marset, Iowa star receiver, uh, was arrested for an OWI, and several black players had announced their intent to transfer in the days leading up to that game uh, against Michigan State. And this is obviously on the heels of the racial bias saga that resulted in the ousting of strength coach Chris Doyle. So you and I talked a lot about what the end looks like for longtime coaches in light of how the Mark D'Antonio era ended in East Lansing on a bit of a sour note. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, Kirk Ferentz did survive. Uh, he had a 49-7 to win that week. But here we are again, Graham. Uh, there's a lot of heat on the Iowa program and, his, you know, Kirk Ferentz's son, the offensive coordinator. I guess I'm just kind of wondering, from your perspective, what do you kind of see from the outside 
uh, looking into the Iowa program because, you know, this has become a national story, uh, Brian Ferentz's, you know, quote-unquote, drive to 325. Well, I learned a long time ago never to underestimate the staying power of Kirk Ferentz. Um, <laughs> I, I covered the 2007 Western Michigan-Iowa game. In, oh, my uh, goodness. Another in, low in, point. In Iowa City for, for, for the Kalamazoo Gazette. And I remember the, some of the questions being asked of Kirk Ferentz after that game. And it sort of felt like that was maybe the first moment where people were really questioning whether his tenure was going to be, was going to be long or, or whatnot. And then Western Michigan would have, was a five and seven team that would have won that game eight out of 10 times the way those two teams were, mm-hmm. uh, where that unfolded. So that, that, so I, I've learned over the years, no, what, what Kirk Ferentz has done that I, I think is remarkable is very few people have, you know, what I had a coach once tell me the hardest thing to do is get it back once you lose it. And I've never seen anybody able to do that quite like Kirk Ferentz. Like he has had several iterations where things dip and he's brought it back to a very, very high level. That is, that is impressive. This with his son appears to be a blind spot though, that could be a problem for him. And we've seen it. Like we watched it in basketball last year with Juwan Howard and Jet Howard, Mm. his lack of accountability for his own son. I mean, they, they were statistically without question. And the numbers bear it out better without Jet Howard on the court. And yet he could not bench him. He wanted him to be a first round pick, which he was, he scored. He was awful defensively. Couldn't guard you or I didn't check out, just didn't hold him to account. And it ruined that season. They went to the NIT. And if I were an athletic director, I'd have serious problems with that. Mm-hmm. People have problems holding their family members accountable and they have blind spots. And I, you know, you hope it doesn't, sort of ruin the end yeah. uh, for Kirk Ferentz. And, but I, I don't, yeah, from an outside perspective, it is, it, it's sort of humorous it, to watch uh, somebody have to score 25 points. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. Just a random number too, 25, you know, yeah. it's not like it, it's 24. It, you know, and, and you know, the one thing I, for, for Gary Bard, I'll say this, and I've not always been a huge Gary Bard fan, but if there's one thing you can do and you know, it, it is to be the villain on the way out. You know, it, it makes it easier for everybody else. And so if that's what this did, the problem is it doesn't, if ultimately you average 26 or 24, you're still the same coordinator. Yeah. And, and it doesn't, you know, the decision should be more nuanced than that, I think. And, um, and that's the one problem with it. You're listening to Hawk Central from the Des Moines Register and KXNO. I'm Chad Leistico talking Iowa-Michigan State with Spartans columnist Graham Couch. Uh, outstanding. A perspective there. Even got a Western Michigan 2007 reference in there. I really appreciate that. Um, Anybody who's listening to me regularly now has to take a drink. So that's the uh, <laughs> yeah, sort of the joke, you know. Um, I bring up Greg Jennings. We really, really got problems. So. <laughs> um, let's, uh, you know, I mentioned the name Mark D'Antonio a moment ago. And here, lo and behold, he's back on the, uh, on the sidelines, right? Uh, what is Mark D'Antonio's role in this team? How much influence does he have? Uh, here was a quote from Iowa middle linebacker Jay Higgins uh, leading the country in tackles. He said this yesterday, we know we're getting their old head coach back. We, we know he brings some things from the past, so we're looking for how they might change up with him back. So what is his influence right now? I, almost, very little, I would think. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, probably, just re- probably just regretting coming back. Um, you know, I think I mean, the, the idea was you know, Harlan Barnett was put in place 
to be the interim head coach or the acting head coach. Today he became the interim head coach. Um, and he's, he's always wanted to be head coach. had never been that. He worked under Mark D'Antonio for a long time. And Alan Haller thought it would be smart to have somebody who was a sounding board for him to help him organize everything, you know, make in-game decisions, whatever it might be. He is there to basically be to truly assist the head coach. And, but you know, the defensive coordinator is not somebody he's familiar with. You know, it's a lot of his defensive set, you know, it's just, it's, there might be, as the season goes along suggestions, Hey, this is something that we've done here and there. I, it, it is, it is Scotty Hazelton's show. I would be very surprised if very much changes from what MSU is doing toward what Mark D'Antonio is doing. And, and, um, you know, I, Antonio will be back in retirement uh, as of Thanksgiving weekend, probably. <laughs> uh, appreciate that. I think uh, I think Iowa might, you know, the coaching staff. I'm I'm guessing is using it as a little motivation. Uh, D'Antonio's kind of had Ference's number for the most part, um, you know, toward the end of well, his career. Yeah. I'm actually doing a column on this. This was a you know this ten years ago. This game was oh gosh, a game yeah. That yeah. set Michigan State on their way, and That's you know, right. going into that game, they, they didn't have a quarterback. Their offense had been struggling. They had a great defense, and they went to Iowa City and actually looked like a competent offense. And from that point forward, uh, you know, nobody beat them. So they won every game by double digits in the Big Ten that year, which was pretty wow. incredible. Yeah, I remember a, a fake field goal in that game. I remember that very well. I think it was a fake field goal, or it was a fake punt, something, some kind of fake. fake punt, yeah, fake yeah, punt, yep. fake punt. Uh, all right, uh, last thing, Graham, for you uh, on the field. I mean, you know, uh, Iowa. You know, looking at Michigan State. Hey, here's a get well game for us. But but I could see it being the other way too. Michigan State saying, "Gosh, we've taken our lumps the last few weeks. Here's a chance against a cruddy offense. You know, maybe we get a win uh, on Saturday in Kinnick and, and shock the world, band together." So, how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't trust either one of these teams right now, and that's. Um you know, I, I do think MSU defensively has found some things, and, and they'll be okay there. Um, offensively, I just don't know. Um, I don't know how bad it is in terms of what the you know each matchup is different. Iowa will put a lot less pressure on their secondary than the last two opponents, and so that that will help. Um, but right. you know, I don't know where their heads are. I don't, you know, and that's the thing. I don't know. Um, and when they, this is the first road game they fa- they've played all season, Kinnick Stadium at night is an environment that's pretty special. And although I don't know what that'll feel like if people are down on Iowa a little bit, I I had to buy tickets. My my in laws are from one of one of them's from Iowa, and I had to buy tickets for this game, and regrettably bought them a while ago because I looked <laughs> at the tickets now and they are <laughs> dropping quickly. Um, so I you know I I I think Iowa wins it. Uh, this is not a game I would bet any which way because yeah. I really don't trust either one of these teams. And um, I certainly don't trust an Iowa team to win by 11 or 12 points as the Vegas spread is that, uh, that has struggled offensively the way they have. Well, thanks Graham. Really appreciate uh, the perspective and uh, hope your beat goes uh, swimmingly in the coming weeks. See you on Saturday. Look forward, look forward to seeing you. Yeah, sounds good. All right, coming up next, Tyler Tashman joins me to break down five big questions as Iowa gets set to host Michigan State. What we heard from defensive coordinator Phil Parker today and a Saturday preview coming up next on Hawk Central 106.3 KXNO. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station 106.3 KXNO. 
Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. Thanks to Graham Couch of the Lansing State Journal for educating us on the stories that await us for Iowa-Michigan State on Saturday night at Kinnick Stadium. Now to preview that game from Iowa's angle, I'm happy to be joined by Hawk Central teammate Tyler Tashman. Tyler, before we get to five big questions, we did get a chance to talk to Iowa defensive coordinator Phil Parker today. Uh, I was very uh, you know, the, curious to see what he would say about two topics that have been, you know, kind of headliners, I guess, for the defense, which would be uh, staying on the field a lot, having a hard time getting off the field and not creating big plays, uh, low, you know, lowest in the Big Ten and sacks and turnovers. Um, what did you think of his responses? I think on the turnovers front, he was kind of basically saying that guys don't shouldn't force it too much. Like you just have to kind of pay attention to doing your role, and, and sometimes it bounces your way, and some sometimes it doesn't. I, I think to a certain extent that's uh, fair. And, and the fact that there's definitely a few times that Iowa could have come up with more turnovers. If you look at the, the one that Jay Higgins almost had against Utah State the one against Iowa State where Xavier Wampa and uh, Cooper DeGene kind of just knocked into each other. I think some of it is just unlucky. I I don't feel like, you know, Iowa is necessarily being put in bad positions to where uh, they're not, uh, they can't create turnovers. I think part of it is that the rush hasn't gotten there at the level that uh, you would have liked to see the, the defensive line. So, you know, that maybe is a factor that, you would like to see improve for Iowa to get uh, more turnovers. But I also think that uh, Phil Parker was saying just kind of generally about the defense, which I thought was interesting, is that a lot of the little things that they can clean up are, are very small. They might be uh, where someone uh, someone's eyes are looking, uh, what stance they're in. So these are not, you know, huge things that, that Iowa uh, has to kind of fix, but they're really minute details that are probably why the defense has been so good because they uh, are very attentive to those details. But if those details are just off by a fraction, you know, it can kind of, it can change things uh, drastically. Yeah. He, he definitely, you know, you definitely feel a lot of confidence toward Phil Parker track record, all that stuff. We'll obviously talk about the offense where you don't have that track record of trust. Uh, So you do feel good that things will improve and you feel good listening to the players you know that they are. They think they're close to getting those turnovers. Higgins said the exact same thing you just did. Yeah, so uh, you know he should have had two picks. First two weeks didn't, and uh, you know uh, they're lacking the turnovers. They only have two interceptions for the season, none in the last ten quarters, and they have no sacks from uh, anybody against a Power Five team this year. So it is uh, a little bit concerning. And uh, you know, here's the thing, Tyler is. I asked him, do you have to apply more pressure uh, because teams are taking the dink and dunk approach against Iowa? They're, they're throwing the ball quicker. They're getting the ball out for short passes. They're taking those four or five yards. Penn State did that. Uh, you know, I think the analogy today was paper cuts, you know, death by paper cuts against the Nittany Lions, 97 plays on defense. So, you know, I'm wondering if Iowa needs to, you know, be more aggressive, attack more, uh, or do something differently just to, you know, uh, lessen the predictability now phil parker basically said you know they're not going to do that now he you know if they were i don't think he would tell us so we just have to wait and see how it plays out on saturday but i just think if there's a 
you know, maybe you rush three instead of four and drop another man into coverage or go the other way, rush six and try to play man coverage and and make them make a mistake in the passing game. Uh, as I kind of look at a big picture, though, I, I think Drew Aller was, was terrific. Every throw was on the money in bad weather. And I think that uh, Phil Parker counts on opponents to, you know, opposing quarterbacks to make those mistakes and not be perfect throughout the game. And that's what they're going to count on uh, as they go forward, I, I believe. Uh, they really don't face another great quarterback the rest of the year, at least not yet. Maybe Tanner Mordecai at Wisconsin you know, has a little bit more gravitas, but uh, at the, it looks like Iowa's, uh, the, the degree of difficulty against quarterbacks should go down just a little bit uh, going forward. Uh, another guy that talked today, Eric All on the Zoom, Tyler, and he said something interesting. I want to read this off to you. Uh, you tweeted this. And it kind of counteracts a little bit what Cade McNamara said yesterday. So Cade McNamara said when asked about why the ball is not getting to the receivers, basically he said, I'm just running the, the plays that are called. <laughs> and, that, and that was it. Uh, Eric All says today, almost like uh, he had talked to Cade McNamara or something like that, said, uh, we know we could have played a lot better and we could have done a lot more things right that had nothing to do with play calling or ev- anything else. It had everything to do with executing. Did you feel like those answers were, uh, you know, one kind of, uh, you know, saying something a little bit different than the other, or two independent thoughts? I, I with the with what Eric always said, I feel like I wouldn't read into it too much. To me, it kind of felt like more he was saying uh, that it was it was on the players' mistakes. I don't I don't think it was directly pointed to like. He knows that Brian Ferentz is under fire, and you know it wasn't his fault. To me, it just felt like saying the guys on the field could have made the plays. Uh, and, and I think an example of that, which he mentioned, was one of the things he felt like he could improve on uh, was ball security. And he had that uh, fumble early on in the game that was kind of one of the first indications that that the game was going to kind of go down the tube pretty quickly. But uh, he was basically saying that in those. Uh, he needs to focus on having two hands on the ball and, and kind of in those awkward positions because it was he was kind of being flipped uh, over uh, that you know he needs to find a way to uh, secure the ball better and so I, I, I like I said I don't know if I would you know does, you know read too much into it I I just think it was more of him saying that there wasn't anything the coaches were doing to put them in bad positions they were they were putting good enough positions to win and I. I think that you can, you could blame coaching for what happened against Penn State, but for how badly Iowa got beat, I think that the blame can't be put on, you know, on, solely on one party. I think it's kind of, there's a lot of factors that go into it if you lose that badly. Yeah. And to be clear, there's two different lines of questioning. Uh, the question towards Cade McNamara was about receiver targets, which we talked about at length on our YouTube pod yesterday. I encourage you guys to check that out at hawkcentral.com on our YouTube page. Uh, at Hawk Central, and uh, you know that was regard to the low number of targets for wide receivers this year, just 14 catches in four games for Iowa receivers. So uh, that's where McNamara talked about, you know, he's throwing it where the plays are called, and uh, we were pretty adamant yesterday that they need to, need to throw the receivers more. So we'll see if they do that on Saturday. Uh, let's get to our five big questions, Tyler. It's Michigan State at Iowa, 6.37 p.m. kickoff on Saturday at N- on NBC, sold out. Kinnick Stadium. It's a blackout, so make sure to wear your black. Uh, Noah Eagle and Todd Blackledge on the call with Catherine Tappen on the sidelines. 
Iowa, 12.5-point favorite, open 6.5, so it's really gone up. And the over-under is 36.5 points. Uh, everyone always loves the under in Iowa games. Not so sure about that this week, but we will see. Uh, five big questions. Tyler, number one, how dangerous is this Michigan State team? Uh, could be desperate. Did some nice things the first couple of weeks, ran into a buzzsaw week three against Washington, and then just got, you know, committed five turnovers against Maryland last week. That kind of tipped that outcome. Is this a dangerous team? And what and how so? <laughs> That's an interesting question because just right before we kind of started this, Michigan State officially fired Mel Tucker, which seemed like it was kind of in the happenings for, for the last little bit, but it's official now. And I feel like when something like this happens, especially in the middle of the season, it can go one of two ways. Either it can kind of rally guys and and, uh, they show resolve and they, I don't know, play with a chip on their shoulder, you know, however you want to put it. Or it can kind of be one of these signs that things start unraveling. And I think the indication is probably the latter based on what Michigan State has done the last uh, two weeks, they got crushed by Washington, who's a really good team, and then uh, losing to Maryland. So, and who's also a good team, but at that, you know, th- there weren't a whole lot of signs of life in those two games. Um, now it feels like with with Mel Tucker officially gone, that you know maybe some of those kind of, that outside noise is heightened a little bit more. You know, the unknown, I guess, of what's going to happen with the program. Uh, So I don't look at Michigan State and say this is a desperate team. I look at it and say this is just a really interesting situation that you there's just kind of a lot unknown that you don't know um, how guys are going to react. So I think that kind of makes this a really interesting case. I think it could be a little dangerous for Iowa, um, you know. And let's let's actually start on defense. I mean, neither team has a great offense, uh, but. Michigan State does have a good running back. Nathan Carter, the UConn transfer, uh, nearly at 100 yards rushing against Maryland, averaging 92.3 per game on the ground. And this is an Iowa rush defense. Yeah, they, they, it was 57 carries, but they gave up the most rushing yards they have since at Wisconsin in 2019 the other day. So uh, this rushing defense has not been perfect for Iowa, and uh, you know Michigan State could potentially you know, grind it out again, uh, just like Penn State did, and that that could be a formula to beat Iowa. So that's something to watch on Saturday. Number two uh, in our five big questions, Tyler, is, is this the Cade McNamara game? There was a lot of talk on Tuesday about Cade's uh, postgame speech in the locker room after the Penn State loss, and he talked extensively about his leadership, how he's feeling better. He's feeling like he's got 100% mobility in the pocket, and uh, has been able to practice with that quad, everything like that. Just can't quite go full tilt with a sprint, but he's healthier. And then you look back at his history in that 11-1 and regular season for Michigan in 2021, that was the only loss. It was a wild game, but McNamara did throw for a career-high 383 yards on 28 of 44 passing in that, in that wild game. So he talked also about you know, doesn't want to be over in his career as a starter against Michigan State. So what do you think? Is this a Cade McNamara special out there? A lot of eyes on him. I don't think that it's going to be a Cade McNamara special. I think that there will be improvement, which based on what happened against Penn State, that there is a lot of room to improve, I guess, if you're going to look on the bright side. But I don't, I don't really 
think a lot of what happened against Penn State was his fault. I think the offensive line played a huge role into that. So I think that basically how well Cade McNamara performs the rest of the season will be in some part due to the offensive line and whether they can give him enough time, especially because of, you know, kind of his, I mean, he, he has mobility, but just the whole injury situation that he's dealt with. And, um, and I think that there'll be, there will be improvement. I don't think he'll throw for 300 yards, uh, but this is, uh, you know, Michigan State's defense is, is not what Penn State's defense is. I think you see probably, I would guess, Cade throw for anywhere between 150 and 200 yards, something in that ballpark. I think that uh, you would at least like to see uh, some improvement. If there's not improvement over the next two weeks, then I think you can even ask you know, the, the questions even become a little bit more pressing. So I think it'll, I think we'll have an improved game. I think we'll have a good game. I don't think he, for I would have be successful this season. He doesn't need to be special. He doesn't need to be great. I think he just needs to do well enough. And he hasn't. It's kind of been a mixed bag of results so far. I was still three and one, uh, but I think that I think he'll have a good game. He'll have a good game on Saturday. I'll save some Cade McNamara specifics for my prediction later, but uh, I will point out that he is—he was ranked by—and this is just the uh, one place, but uh, you know, one website that covers the, the Big Ten ranked him the worst quarterback among the fourteen in the Big Ten um, thus far through four weeks, and he's—he's he's only completing fifty percent of his passes this season. So, definitely kind of a chip on his shoulder type of type of thing. You know, after the speech, I think it'll be real telling to see how Cade plays on Saturday. Number three, speaking of statements, uh, Tyler, does the defense need to make a statement, and will it, against the Spartans? The defense comes in ranked sixth in the Big Ten, 36 nationally. We're not used to those types of numbers under Phil Parker. We're used to first or second in the Big Ten, top ten nationally. Uh, it's not like they've played you know, unbelievably dynamic offenses either, so... Uh, does the defense kind of need to show something this week as a group? They do, and I think they will. Michigan State against Washington scored just seven points. They scored just nine against Maryland, so that's 16 across two Power 5 games this season, uh, which is really underwhelming. I think Iowa's defense will get back on the right track. I think uh, stopping the running game, to me, is one of one of the questions of whether they can do that. I think we need to continue to see improvement from Iowa's defensive line. And um, I think the one thing that Iowa does have going for it is Jay Higgins, the level that he has been playing at. And it also feels like Nick Jackson has kind of had incremental improvement since that first game against Utah State. Those two guys in the middle, I think, have been really good. I think they were uh, Iowa's two best defensive players against Penn State. And some of the numbers that Jay Higgins is putting up is incredible. He has 50 total tackles, averaging uh, 12.5 tackles per game, which is fourth in the entire FBS and first in Power 5 conference. Uh, he, you know, Jack Campbell, through four games last season, had 39 tackles. So Jay Higgins is way above that. Which, and We could go on for Jay Higgins and himself, but I just think what he has done from a statistical standpoint, but also from a leadership standpoint, I, I don't know if you could really ask much more. So I think he will play a part in getting the Iowa's defense back on track, and, and this feels like it has the makings 
because of the way that Michigan State's offense has played the last two weeks. This has the makings for Iowa's defense to get back on track, and I think they will. No interceptions for Iowa cornerbacks this year, and that includes Deshaun Lee, Jamar Harris, and Cooper D. Jean. So after five picks last year, including three picks, this pick, pick sixes, uh, Cooper's still uh, trying to get on the board. Uh, talked to Phil Parker about that today. Uh, he kind of thinks, you know, with Jamari Harris kind of getting more comfortable back in the fold that teams will, you know, start throwing Cooper's way more now that Jamari's kind of stepping up. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know, certainly uh, you'd like to see more impact from this defense. I think turnovers are kind of the way they'll make that statement this week. Uh, Michigan State, as mentioned, committed five against the Terps. All right, number four. Tyler, uh, no Caleb Johnson, no Jazzy and Patterson this week, still week to week. We don't know about their status for next week against Purdue. But who leads Iowa in rushing on Saturday? And whoever it is, does he get 75 yards? I'm not even going to go 100. I'm going to say, does he get to 75 yards? Uh, Sean Williams will be the lead guy, and I think that he will. I think we might see a performance similar to to that what he did against western michigan now western michigan and michigan state different programs but uh there was just not much room at all against penn state i I don't think i don't fault leeshawn williams or or kamari molden for that at all against penn state because penn state's defense basically just dominated the point of attack and, and those guys uh didn't really have much room at all which is also a reflection of iowa's o line needing to improve, but I think that the O-line will open up enough holes against Michigan State. I, I think that we'll see a similar game, uh, like I said, that of Leshawn Williams, of what he did against Western Michigan, breaking off some big runs. Uh, I think that Kamari Mullen will, will see some of him as well, and he had those two touchdowns against Western Michigan. I think that uh, he'll, he'll play a role uh, to a certain extent again on Saturday. Yeah, Leshawn Williams, only six carries for nine yards against Penn State. So uh, my guess would be they're going to try to reestablish him. So I like your pick there. Kamari Moulton was their leading rusher against Penn State with 18 whopping yards. And so, uh, yeah, I think I'll go over 75 as well with Leshawn Williams on Saturday uh, leading the way. Last question, Tyler, number five, five big questions. Where does Iowa have the biggest edge? We talked about where Michigan State could be dangerous, but where could Iowa be dangerous on Saturday. Where do they have, where do the Hawkeyes have the biggest edge going into this game? I think it's the fact that Iowa is coming off the performance that it did against Penn State. It, it feels like the kind of general mood around the team is that Penn State is not, repre- that game against Penn State is not representative of who, they, of who they are as a team. It's time to move forward. I feel like Iowa has, I don't want to say a lot to prove, but I feel like they kind of need to take out some of that frustration from the Penn State game. It, it feels like one of those games where you you don't want to play Iowa because they have a lot of just pent up frustration and you know things going on from that game. So I I think that just kind of the mindset, the mindset of wanting to get back on the field and get in the win column and, and put that Penn State game behind them, uh, to me. It was like a big edge, I guess I would say. And it, and then on the flip side of it, if Iowa comes out flat, if they if they don't seem to really have that focus and edge, then I'd be really concerned. Um, but I think that it, from what we've heard, that it, you know Iowa has focused 
and put the Penn State game behind him, but let's see if that can actually happen on the field. Big priority on Saturday for me is seeing Iowa to start fast. We've seen them do that most games. Well, I guess the first two games <laughs> didn't really light the world on fire against Penn State, but their best play was during the beginning of that game. So, yeah, you don't want to – this is the type of game where you don't want to give Michigan State much hope. You have a chance to, you know, take a big swing right out of the gate, uh, hit them in the mouth, you know, make them not want to be there at Kinnick. Kinnick night game, always a good atmosphere, uh, and, and try to take control of the game early because the more you let them hang around – then they start playing, you know, with a little more pride, playing to win. They're not probably going to get too many wins this year. So uh, you just, uh, you know, the, the start of this game, to me, very, very important. All right. Thank you, Tyler. Coming up next, we'll make our score predictions for Iowa-Michigan State. You're listening to Hawk Central here on 106.3 KXNO. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. Tyler Tashman joining me to finish up the show, take you to 7 o'clock in KXNO's Fantasy Camp, Fantasy Football. Uh, one of my leagues, not doing good. Other league, not bad. So uh, we'll see uh, what advice they have for us tonight. Uh, Tyler, Wisconsin. The only unbeaten team in the Big Ten West in conference play at 1-0. So <laughs> this is anyone's race. Uh, there were some odds uh, at Bet Rivers today that showed Iowa was plus 125 to win the Big Ten West and Wisconsin was plus 110 to, big the, to win the Big Ten West. The other five teams plus 1,000 or worse tells me that the odds makers um, see five teams that are not good and two teams uh, vying for that Big Ten West championship. Do you kind of see it that way too, or, or any of those bottom five, so to speak, maybe could sneak up uh, on Iowa and or Wisconsin? To me, it feels just like a two-team race right now, but the way that things have kind of started in the Big Ten, it feels like the gap between the Big Ten East and the Big Ten West is even more drastic. Like, you know, the Big Ten West is – wasn't expected to be to be very strong and it feels like to me it might be even more underwhelming in the early season than it was expected and on the other hand the Big Ten East Penn State Michigan Ohio State expected to be good but Maryland is good Rutgers is good it feels like the the East is even more loaded than usual and the West is kind of struggling uh, more than usual as well. Wisconsin one of two teams on a bye this week Ohio State after its win at Notre Dame uh, and, and those 10 players on defense uh, has the other 12 Big Ten teams in action, including the Hawkeyes. Uh, not a ton of compelling Big Ten games. Uh, Michigan uh, at Nebraska, probably, you know, the most interesting one for me. Uh, you and I uh, and to- our friend Tom Kakert kind of watched some of that Michigan Rutgers game the other day. And honestly, I thought Rutgers played toe to toe with them for quite a while. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what kind of fight. Uh, the Huskers have at home. You know they they started the season with two road games, lost them both, but they've been good at Memorial Stadium so far. They've won both, so a seventeen and a half point spread in that one on Saturday. So we'll get to watch that. That's a I think a two thirty game on Fox uh, before before we cover Iowa Michigan State. Anything else uh, on your radar? I don't know. Who does Indiana play? Do they have a good game? 
they play at Maryland, which Ooh, will be a challenge. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So is that, that what you're watching be, then? Is that your your other premier game this week? I think so. But, yeah, I'm interested to see as well the Michigan-Nebraska, just to see how Michigan responds in an atmosphere like that because I'm guessing that it's going to be uh, – they're going to load up the stadium and have a lot of energy. So, um, And then the Penn State at Northwestern, I, don't, I wouldn't think that that would be much of a – uh, game so yeah uh illinois at purdue 230 on peacock and the reason i mentioned that game is twofold number one it's a big 10 west matchup and the hawkeyes have purdue next week um, so i guess three reasons and three uh iowa's on peacock next week so get ready to stream a game for the first time uh in your life for for the hawkeyes uh You'll need a subscription for that if you want to watch the game and you're not going to the game in person. So they announced that the other day. Um, so if you want to watch Illinois-Purdue on Saturday, you might as well get the – I'm not you know, recommending you pay NBC money, but if you want to you know, watch some Purdue football two weeks in a row, you're going to need a subscription. So uh, I guess I'm going to have to fire mine. <laughs> I canceled mine uh, uh, a couple weeks ago. I'm going to have to fire back up again, I guess. So um, – just something to note. All right, Tyler, let's get to our picks. Iowa versus Michigan State, uh, 6.30 on Saturday. Uh, you usually go first, right? So you want to, do you want to take the honors again? Now, I will say uh, before we start, 4-0 over here. I'm 4-0 against the spread this year on, <laughs> on Iowa games. So maybe we should tease our listeners for the, the spread bet, uh, the lock of the week that's coming. Uh, I'll go. I'll go ahead and go. First. All right. Um, I think I think Iowa will win twenty-seven to ten. I think that the the ground game will get going a little bit more than, or I guess say a lot bit more than last week. But I think Cade McNamara has a game in which he can build on. I think it it might not be quite the demonstrative uh, statement that people would want. I, you know, I I think that. If I would go out and win by thirty plus, then then that might start to kind of quiet concerns a little bit. But I think Iowa will win twenty seven to ten. I think the defense will get back on track. I, I think it'll be just kind of a, a pretty solid, thorough win and something to build off of after what happened against Penn State. I do think Iowa will make a concerted effort to get the ball out wide to the receivers, uh, Seth Anderson. You and I uh, both really like what he brings to the table. He's gotten the most snap counts of all the receivers this year. Tells you that they like him a lot. And then, you know, we know Deontay Vines uh, is a guy they think highly of. Same with Nico Raggini. So I think between those three guys, uh, they can they can put together, you know, somewhere around the neighborhood of 200 yards passing. So I do think Cade McNamara has his best game as a Hawkeye throwing the football. And I think the defense comes up with at least – two turnovers. I'm not going to say they score, but I think a couple turnovers at least for that defense uh, to make you make you feel good again about that. Uh, I got the Hawkeyes. Uh, it's dangerous. I could see a, a backdoor cover coming for Michigan State, but I do have the Hawkeyes winning 28-13, to 13, and that would be the over. The over-under is 36.5. So I feel I actually feel better about the over this week. We'll see if that comes up. It's very dangerous. Very, very dangerous to support an over- in an Iowa football game, I totally realize that, but this kind of feels like to me, uh, like the line has dipped way too low. 
in Iowa's offense. <sighs> this is another thing I probably shouldn't even say, but I don't think Iowa's offense is as bad as everyone thinks. So famous last words, I guess. Yeah, no, well, you're you're living on the edge with taking the over, but uh, <laughs> especially after what we saw last week. But no, I think I think that's fair because Penn State has a good defense, and that was just yeah, that was. It, I think Iowa needs badly needs to bounce back, and I think that's pretty obvious. But they need to bounce back badly. Yeah, and we we just don't know how good or bad Michigan State's defense is because Washington is really the outlier here. Uh, they played. You know, two pretty good games of defense the first two weeks. Didn't do too bad against Maryland last week, but gave up a ton of yards against Washington in week three. So we'll see if that skews their stats and the same as the Penn State game skewing Iowa's stats. So that's why I think I think both teams probably do a little bit better offensively in this game than, than people expect. Anyway, thank you, Tyler. I'll see you on Saturday. All right, sounds good. All right, and thank you, listeners. Be sure to tune in sometime around midnight or so on Saturday. We'll let you know on our social media feeds as we do our Hawk Central postgame YouTube broadcast from Kinnick Stadium. Uh, coming up next here on KXNO, it's Fantasy Camp with Nathan Fisher and Tyler Allen. For Tyler Tashman, this is Chad Lystico reminding you to join us every Wednesday night from 6 to 7 p.m. here on Hawk Central, 106.3 KXNO. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... Uh human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.